We're going into our next brew. It is by Noble Beast, the Imperial Cookies Milk and Stout. Mike, take it over. Um, this one's uh, inspired by the Kitchen Sink Cookie, um, easy drinking Russian Imperial. Uh, stout brewed with chocolate, cherries, vanilla, pecans, pretzels, oats, milk sugar. Uh, light touch creates a balanced stout with aromas of chocolate and toasted nuts. The oats and vanilla import a creamy mouth feel, while the cherries lend a touch of tart acidity to the finish. Uh, I, I visited the bar and they garnished it with a chocolate chip cookie. Um, I highly recommend going there. <laughs> um, they don't sell in, in bottles, but they're happy to fill a, a growler for you. This has a 10.1% ABV and a 60 IBU. Mike, uh, Mike's trying to get us tanked. I right, like, right. <laughs> I like Noble Beast. That's your place, isn't it? This Mike? is my place. Yeah. Dude, so far, place. everything you've brought back from Noble Beast has been phenomenal. <laughs> I won't lie. And smelling this, uh, right, right, tip it off. Oh my Cheers. lord! Yeah, smelling this, I feel like I'm next to the Christmas tree on Christmas Eve. Ooh. I mean, I am Santa Claus snacking on cookies right now. Do you smell that? Do you smell that? That, that just smells amazing. Like a tasty oatmeal yeah. first thing. Oh or, um, man, some ginger. Yeah, I like it. Right that. off the rip. Oh, I taste delicious. Oh man, everything's right there. It's really good. That's Christmas night. <laughs> <laughs> really happy with this really good i know it's not the beer talking (laughs) i know what i'll be sipping on when i'm wrapping presents it reminds me of uh what is that one we like whole garden Mm. oh yeah doesn't it remind you that yeah without the citrus because whole garden i believe that has like a it did have more citrus grapefruity yeah yeah Yeah. this is just it's it's like eating a a really good cookie while sipping on a beer. Yeah, the, the cherries though kind of threw me at first because you can taste the I taste a hint of the cherry. I'm looking for the cherry right now. Really? Yeah. I, like it's like mm. a chocolate covered cherry to me. This is, that's this so is good. Ten point something. Ten point one. Smooth, right? Wow, you don't. Yeah, that's. Yeah, and it that's dangerous. And it scores high on the IBU, and I, I'm not getting. I don't that. get it. No, I don't get that at all. It's way smoother. Right. Yeah. It's, it's way way smoother. Definitely more of an amber. Beautiful color. Yeah. The color's lovely. It's almost like a like a like a dark walnut. Mm. Yeah. And it's uh not too much head, which is fine. You know, I can go with or without, you know. But it's uh the aromas. The aromas caught me right off the bat. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's like five W thirty. Mike, you'll have to join us one night. I will. I'm I'm my coffee's out, so I feel kind of sad, but it's okay. <laughs> he said, like, hitting his coffee cup. It was stupid coffee. <laughs> yeah. So now we're going into your specialty. What's Sa- that? Salvation under the Orthodox Church. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I found a really cool article um, from orthochristian.com. Okay. And I'm not going to read through it. So I literally just went through and grabbed the headings on each one of the subjects because it was a very in-depth article. It would take me probably the next half hour to read. It's a really in-depth article. So under the headings, we have personal salvation is the restoration of our original communion with God. Everyone is called to salvation. Personal salvation is a process. The essence and the goal of personal salvation is deification, which is theosis. We'll come back on. We'll come back to that one. Personal salvation is both in the future and now. 
Faith is a starting point of one's personal salvation. Repentance is a necessary condition of one's personal salvation. Baptism is the gateway on one's path to salvation. Personal salvation requires a sustained effort even after baptism. Personal salvation is acquired through fulfilling Christ's commandments. God does not force salvation on anyone, but assists those who choose it. No one can ever be assured of salvation. Salvation is possible only in the church. Christ's life on earth is an example of personal salvation for us to follow. So, how do you feel about that? Sounds orthodox. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing I really like about that, right from the get-go, right from the get-go, it's just, it's more open. It's more personal. It's, you know, it's right from the get-go you have personal salvation is the restoration of our original communion with God. I mean, how beautiful is that? Right, I think yeah, because you know when we when we think about salvation within Eastern churches, and I would add that the Byzantine Catholics would hold the same understanding of mm-hmm. of uh, of salvation. That it's it is a process, and it's it's something that you know you, you got you got to kind of back up a little bit and and start by even asking the question, what is prayer? And right. prayer isn't is something in in Orthodoxy that. God is eternally present, so it's us. We're the one that has to, in a sense, find the, the, the radio station that God's operating at, the frequency God's at. It's not that, you know, you know, all of a sudden we pray and God's like, oh, I'm sorry, what? I was asleep. You know, God's eternally present, so we have to tune our spirit to him. And theosis is a process where we're eternally divinized. And what that means is that the divine spark that's in all of us, the thing that draws us towards God from birth. Even we would say that people that aren't Christians, but they have all religions have had this kind of sense of something else, something bigger. That's the divine spark within the human person. So mm. taking that spark that's within us, and then through the process of the church, through the process of prayer, repentance, fasting, and um, and the sacraments or the holy mysteries. You become united with the person of Christ, and by becoming more united with Christ, you become more united with the Trinity. Mm. Now, so it's every, it's it's a it's definitely a it's definitely a both and. There's definitely something where you have to, you know, it's a conscious decision to decide to pray with God. Um, you pray without ceasing. You use you know your chotki would be the Orthodox Rosary to use a poor analogy that Orthodoxy probably doesn't like, but it's essentially that idea. Mm. Um, that you will you will pray at yeah you will pray your chaki you will say the Jesus prayer and you and at some point and this is even true within a lot of my friends in the evangelical churches um, we stop praying the prayer no longer becomes something we say it becomes something that we are the Holy Spirit like Paul says groans within us so prayer becomes our actual nature so that there's no longer this moment where we're like okay am I praying am I not praying no your entire life becomes a prayer because you realize that all reality is mystical. And I think the other side of it is like is a very basic idea of, um, and, and stop me if I'm starting to preach here. No, no, please, no, I'm, no, loving, I'm, loving, I'm loving it. <laughs> um, we, we have this idea that we have to somehow win, but Christ already won on the cross. It's done. The kingdom of God, in a sense, has already occurred. It's just us. We don't know that it's happened. Humanity hasn't accepted the gift that's already occurred. So 
the church is very much here to say, look, it's already done. Just come on, come together. Let's let God reign. There is no more real battle going on in the sense that it's not a yin and a yang. There's, it's not this, um, you know, well, God and the devil. No, it's, it's all God or Jesus already won. The devil already lost, um, you know. So it's, it's our job to mystically and prayerfully and thoughtfully allow ourselves to become sanctified and glorified in Christ. And because God is eternal, the process does start here, but it doesn't end when you die. It doesn't end when you get into heaven because God's eternal. So the process of us growing is always going to be, is going to be happening for eternity as well because we'll never reach the end of God because God has no end. That's awesome. See, I love that. I love that. It's, it's an eternal journey. I mean, it, there was uh, I, I listened to, for those who know me, I listen to motivational videos in the morning. <laughs> well, I'm, well, well, I'm, I'm surprised. Right. <laughs> well, I'm showering and getting ready and stuff. I'm actually playing motivational videos in the background, you know, because uh-huh. it, it's it's cool. It's uplifting while you're getting ready and everything to, you know, set your goals in the morning, set your mind at the at task, you know. Um, it's it's a beautiful thought to think that it's it's not just a an earthly lifelong process, but that it's an eternal process. There's always something to keep moving towards. There's there's a path to keep walking. There's 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 something to achieve forever. It, it's right. it's a beautiful beautiful aspiration. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, I like what you said about the orthodox view about uh, your life essentially becomes a life of prayer. Not because you're on your knees praying with your eyes closed and your hands lifted, screaming, or even, right. you know, like from the evangelical, uh, you know, there isn't a lot of tongues or, or whatever kind of things that we Yeah, kinda, some denominations <laughs> have tongues, sure. Yeah, that we exploit here. Um, but that you realize, like you said, there's a sense of, uh, I think you used the word mysticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that all life and humanity has that sense that, uh, that, somehow connects all of us yeah and, it, and if yeah and if you think about it like it, it's it's the resurrection that was the the rest it was the salvation and i think a lot of churches would focus on the cross and the death yeah but yeah. in the way that you know kind of my training is it's the death on the cross occurred and it was needed um but it was in the restoration and when that yeah, happened yeah the entire world got restored yeah and says that. Restored. yeah you yeah, know yeah that's yeah cool. So everything's divinized. Everything is, you know, I'm not saying God is, you know, it's not pantheism. But when even when you look at, like, have you guys ever read Bonaventure? Mm, can't say I have. Never heard of it. So, so after St. Francis and the Franciscans, it was a guy named Bonaventure. And Bonaventure was in a contemporary of Thomas Aquinas. Okay. Love, Twi- love Thomas. Yeah, and Bonaventure's theology, he wrote something called The Vestiges of God. And it's this idea that, you know, if you, wanna, if you want to understand art, art is the externalization of the internal person. It's the incommunicable that's becoming, you know, external. So if you want to understand the mind of God, look at nature, because God has written himself mm. and, and explored himself and revealed himself all throughout the world. So we don't have to go very far to find God, because God has literally created everything for us to see. Mm. So when you kind of look at that, and, and then it gets almost humbling to me. Because when, when Moses was supposed to approach the bush, he had to take off his, you know, his shoes. Yeah. And, and then you realize that all of the world's been, Christ literally walked on this earth. So I, I think that, you know, at some point you could even do a show on eco-theology, um, you know, and just how the entire world's been divinized. 
Yeah. And the world's a lot more mystical than I think we give it credit for. You, you know we're going to bring you point. in for that episode, right? Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if that's the case, then let me ask you this. Sure. Uh, are there other pathways outside of Christianity to the Creator, to having a relationship with the Creator? Well, I think there's a difference between having a relationship with the Creator and then having salvation. I think those are separate things. Hmm. Well put. Um, well put. What the, having a relationship with the Creator, I think, is I think we all by our by our by our. Now this is going to be kind of a different way of thinking about it. Some would say that when we're born in original sin, we don't have any relationship with God, mm. that it's completely cut off, and that we're dead without that. Um, orthodoxy would say that there's always there, the divine spark is always within us, and it, it's within all people. But we also understand original sin differently. Um, original sin for orthodoxy is death. And that, and this would, uh, this is how we, you know, how people have a fear of death, right? Yeah. Um, orthodoxy with Eastern theology would say that the reason we all have this innate fear of death is because there's a part of us that knows we weren't supposed to die, hmm. and that when Adam and Eve hmm. sinned, it was the introduction of death into the world, and everybody kind of this isn't right. There's something wrong about this, and it's that mystical relationship with God that makes us go something's not right about death. Wow. So when Christ incarnated and then resurrected, he restored our ability to live for eternal life. That's why Mary, when we think of Mary having original sin, well, she, it wasn't in the sense of Roman, of, of you know, Protestant or Western theology. Or, it was in the idea that, you know, well, she, you know, she fell asleep. She was, you know, she, yeah. the dormition of the Theotokos. She fell asleep. Right. Um, that's right. what we say well, with death is we just fall asleep. No, no, I read a really good article on, um, ah, which place was it? It was on one of the sites. I don't know if it was Orthochristian or if it was an OCA, but um, uh, Ancestral versus Original Sin. Mm -hmm. and, and the Ancestral makes so much more sense than Original Sin. And uh, I love the fact they pointed out that even in Judaism, they never believed in original sin. They believed in ancestral sin, that we were born into a world where yeah. death was introduced, mm -hmm. but that we are not guilty for anybody else's sin but our own. It yeah, we had the guilt. Yeah, the guilt isn't something like, you know, God looked at us and said, you know, well, Adam and Eve messed up, therefore you messed up at the exact, you know, you're guilty. You know, like, I, I don't go get in trouble because my dad did something wrong. Well, <laughs> right. well women are still paying the punishment for Eve. <laughs> oh... <laughs> Right? So I'm not touching that at all. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I love that answer. Yeah. I love that answer. That's yeah, the orthodox answer. <laughs> but the, um, you know, but that the world, you know, by by the relationships that we have, the fact that we're relational beings, we're raised into a world that is sinful. We're raised into a world that, you know, chooses different than God. Yeah. Yeah. See, I I love that. There's there's so much more. There's so much more room to grow and so much more relational aspects, not just between people, but between people and even nature um, inside of that view. Which, I mean, even look at the, at the Bible, uh, Romans one twenty, right? That The fact that it says that all of creation is here, therefore there is no excuse for any human being, right? So, I mean, all of creation rejoices. That's even in the Psalms. Yeah. So, yeah, there's there's a there's a, a beautiful relationship between all of creation that pulls us together to look for our Creator, or to mm -hmm. to incline us 
to that that relationship that we desire to have with him. So I, I think it's beautiful. So and it was a was it wasn't Athanasius who said that God became man so that man can become God, right? Yes, yeah, essentially that. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. So the yep. de- and I think we all have that in us. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, essentially that that does really sum up theosis, right? The fact that that God Himself became incarnate as man, so that that man could reach out to become divine, so that he could grow with, you know, the idea of becoming closer and closer to God, not just through here, but like you said, throughout eternity. Yeah, and and, yeah, and there's and, and, the, and the reason it works within Orthodox theology is because they have an understanding of the Trinity that has the essence and energies of God, which is different than a Western understanding of the Trinity. So um, traditional Western theology doesn't have the energies of God, it's it's not that we become God as in Trinity. We be, it's just the energies of the Trinity that emanate the world that is what unites us and illuminates us. Mm. Um, so the other way of understanding theosis is is divine illumination within the Eastern Church. See, I love that. Is can you expand on that because that is awesome. What's that illumination? Yeah, uh, the energies of God and illumination. Sure. So if you think you know if you think in the Old Testament, um, Moses had to put a veil because his face lit up. Um, I think it was Elijah when Jesus went on Mount Tabor. Um, and it's it's this idea that when you reach a certain point of, of mysticism or theosis, um, you become illuminated. You light up in a sense, and not in, in a cheesy or generic way. Um, if you ever read the story of St. Seraphim of Sarov, you'll see that within within his narrative. And I, and I think it's absolutely possible. I think that the idea that the spiritual life has to really start once you pass away, I think is erroneous. I think God is is possible here. I think a relationship with Christ is possible here. And I think the, it, I think eternity is here now. We just have to walk into it. See, that's awesome. That's really good. I love that. You, you said something earlier uh, about man has this innate fear of death because we realized innately that mm-hmm. something is wrong with how... Uh, I, I think how we're dying physically and it wasn't yeah. meant to be this way. Is that what you meant? So yeah. what, what is the orthodox of you of how it was supposed to be before that? Sure. So in the, in the garden of Eden, we just had this relationship with God. There wasn't the separation. Um, we didn't have a knowledge of good and evil. So once that, once the original sin occurred, once that relationship with God was broken, um, humanity, I, I, again, I, I think kind of realized something was wrong. And if you ever read existential psychotherapy, um, somebody by the name of Irvin Yalom, um, one of the main existential concerns that people have nowadays is the fear of death. And even if you go into bioethics, when you look at physician-assisted suicide, um, the amount of people that get the prescription for physician-assisted suicide is a, is, a, is a significantly different number than the amount of people that actually take the medicine. Because what you lose in that terminal illness is you lose your ability to make your own decisions. You lose your autonomy. So that actually gives meaning back to your life. The ability to say, you know what, I have the decision. I can choose when I'm going to die or not. So even that existentially ties into the idea of of Orthodox theology and theosis. Because there's this, it just, you know, if you look at some of these tragedies, and I don't care what religion you're from, you look at mass tragedies. There's something in all of us that groans, and it's it's something that, you know, I don't care about your philosophies or wherever you're from. When you see pure suffering, something in, in the human person aches. Yeah. When you see somebody die, it's just not, 
you just you, you can't even speak it. Right. I think all of these things are evidence that God is is present in us, and I think that transcends everything. Um, hmm. And I, and I think that's where this that's where Orthodox theology kind of makes sense. Um, not that the other ones may don't necessarily, but for me, you can look at it in, the, in that existential sense. And even one of the old um, monks in the Orthodox Church says that the reason we fall asleep is to prepare us for death. God did that so that every night we would we would die and then resurrect, so that when we actually do fall asleep at death, we won't be afraid anymore because we'll be used to it. Wow, that is awesome. <laughs> actually, wow. the last five minutes of what you just said would make a great book. I don't have any, nobody <laughs> wants to hear what I have to say. <laughs> you should really you should really think about that. The last five minutes of what you said would be a fantastic book. Oh, it's it's been written by smarter people than I. Sure. <laughs> I don't know if it was so aptly put. <laughs> oh, probably it's much more eloquent than me. <laughs> I know. I know George is a question. Those are deep I see dots. it brewing. I oh, see it brewing. I, I had a, I, um, they 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 were coming and going. I was. <laughs> see, uh, George awesome. actually actually works in the medical field. So okay. <laughs> oh man! Are you sure you just made that segue without even? I did. Yeah, we I should preface, we should preface that with he's our resident skeptic, <laughs> right. and he's good. Nice. And he's yeah, good yeah. at it. <laughs> so, so in the medical field, how much of this are you seeing? Because you you deal with all the because you're in facilities, so you see all of this going on at the same time. So, right. so, so, what's your thoughts on that? And see, and seeing the mortality of humans, and uh, I mean. That's a good question. So, uh, were we supposed to die? (laughs) What's that? Were we supposed to die? Let me set George up. Was man supposed to die? No. No. Man was created to be immortal. Right. And so just because Eve ate an apple, (laughs) now we die. And women had experienced birthing pains and periods. (laughs) Right? Wait, wait, wait. He just said, it wasn't even an apple. Okay, go ahead. A fruit from a tree. Yeah. For no reason. Now, let me preface that. Let me preface that because there was a fantastic <laughs> quote that I'll find for you. I'm just saying it was arbitrary. Right He's like, now. hey, I made this world for you, but hey, here's this tree with this fruit that you're not allowed to we eat. We have to preface our preface. But, Hang on. All right. Even, Sorry, let me understand the context. Even C.S. Lewis, even C.S. Lewis Stated, of course, C.S. Lewis so wise, dude. C.S. Lewis is awesome. The beer is definitely amazing. talking right now. I'm sorry, Mike. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, You're no. good, sir. Thank C- you. No, C.S. Lewis is amazing. One of my favorite authors. Mike. <laughs> One of my favorite authors of all time. C.S. Lewis is is um perhaps one of the best philosophers in the last 200 years on, on the Christian side, at least. Of course. Maybe even the Taoist side, because yeah, he was, was also... Say, even recognized beyond the right, Christian side. Right, yeah. because he was also an, a great Taoist philosopher mm-hmm. as well. Um, even he stated that... And he acknowledged, by the way, he acknowledged uh, theistic evolution. So, And he said that it, it doesn't matter if it was an actual fruit or not. It was just the fact that humans said that this is our part of the universe, and guess what? You have no say in it, you know, and excluded God from creation itself from their own minds. So you're saying that was the communication sent when she took the fruit? What I'm saying, though, I'm saying our own egos are what pushed God away. Mm Mm-hmm. Our own egos are what says, you know, this is our business, it's if, not yours. If, if that's a personal dig, I just don't think it's my own ego that's pushing God away from me. Like, 
um, if anything, I think initially maybe it was my ego. And then since like coming in communication with you guys and being like, <laughs> you know what? Hey, let's not be totally ignorant, but let's, let's educate. You know, you gave me, you gave me the Bible. You said, you know, you gave me a recommendation on a Bible yep. to read. Yep. And I, I just feel like it's not my ego anymore. It's just, and I have a hard time saying this in front of a doctor and very smart people, <laughs> um, is, um, I don't know. The more I read this Bible, the more, I'll be honest, it's the opposite for me. The more I read this Bible, the more pulled away I really am. That's natural, though. That's natural. I went through that myself. And, and mind you, and I'm a believer. There, I went through that. I don't think there's any chance for me coming back around. I doubt that. <laughs> I doubt that. Coming back around where? Uh, coming, I mean, I guess I, and then I was, um, Back when I was sober, Mike, and I was I was doing the questions. <laughs> Sorry, I know. Like an hour ago or what? Right? Yeah. Just anyone at any time could just tell me to shut up and I'll stop. Okay, so back when I was coherent, Mike, and I was uh-huh. talking about, you know, uh, my some of my skepticisms about, you know, being born into a religion and inheriting yeah. your parents' religion and stuff like that. Like, I was definitely, that, that was me, I don't know, 10 years ago. Okay. Right where I was born, baptized Catholic. Did wait, hold on. Did, you, were, you were baptized Catholic? Absolutely. And then I oh. went to uh, PRS and or PSR. Eh, booze Why talking. Um, I went to PSR and then I uh, did the whole communion and all that jazz. And then um, it was later in life where I started. I was like, I don't know, started kind of questioning things. And like now, where I, you know, I I was challenged. Okay. You know, and, and I don't know, not necessarily challenged, but. Given, you know, hey, you know what, give it a shot, educate yourself, find out what it's about. And then, like, I don't know, I just find myself distancing myself more. I find myself with more questions. Mm-hmm. I find myself with um, opportunities that, or I'm reading this that's supposed to be the manual on life. I'm finding myself with um, situations that I find immoral. I find myself reading situations that I feel like me, a regular human, could perform better. And I, I just, I find myself not connecting. But, is that necessarily a bad thing? I don't think so. I well, I appreciate that. I I don't think a lot of people that are religious would feel that way. But well, I do. George, do you think it's um, because you were raised? It took me a couple of beers to get here. <laughs> here it is. Do you so. think because the way you were raised and and some of your family's education put into you, brainwashed into Christianity? Let's say. Okay. Um. Then you start reading for yourself, and you start cleaving from all of that stuff that you just, you know, was dumped in your head. You didn't have a question. Um, do you think there's any chance that you're about to discover the truth? Because your story sounds so familiar to mine, where I was raised Catholic. I decided to read the Bible from cover to cover without stopping. So I started reading, and I was getting pulled away. Next thing I knew, I was down to zero foundation and rebuilding it from the foundation on the biblical truth that I was discovering for myself rather than my parents, what they told me. And my mom, you know, she's still, uh, she's on her own journey, but she's still religious and probably more Catholic when we have lots of discussions, but I'm on my own two feet now and I have my own thoughts about who God is. So I thought... I knew who God was, but I didn't until I ripped every thought and preconceived notion out of my head and rebuilt it with biblical truth. So I, I was there. Right? I was now, too. And believe it or not, 
Okay, so and this is where it's gonna this is where it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna definitely um turn a few heads. Apologetics is actually what tore me apart. Of <laughs> mm. uh, defending the faith, apologetics from a Western point of view, from a Protestant point of view, because I mean I I started back in apologetics when I was in my preteens. I was probably twelve years old or less when we switched over to the assemblies, right? So um I was young when we switched over and going into my teens and then my twenties and my, my early thirties, I, I, all of that, I was all Protestant and I went into apologetics, defending the faith. And even though I could adequately defend the faith quite well, their questions still tore at me. It just tore at me. And even after I won my debates, afterwards I'm still thinking, God, he was right. <laughs> I mean, I won the debate, but it's still tearing at me because his question is still, you know, searing through me like a hot flame. And, you know, it still left me questioning myself. Even though I was winning the debates, I was still left wanton. You know, I was still left, man thinking he was very right in his question. Now, now this might help you, Mike, <laughs> over there, uh, new Mike. Um, believe it or not, it was the, the Eastern theology. It was the Orthodox faith that restored my faith um, because Western theology couldn't do it. Every time I went back to Western theology, there were so many different views on so many different topics, on so many different, everybody had their own idea what and what was right, 40,000 know, flavors of it, that at the end of the day, I was like, something is wrong because I have five different answers every single night for the same question. And it seared through my flesh that I couldn't give everybody one answer. And it was a Serbian friend of mine. He was uh, uh, a coworker, and we said, <laughs> "Funny story," because we sat down, and and he just said, oh, "I'm from the church," and I'm like, "Well, what denomination are you? Lutheran? Are you are you uh, Pentecostal? Are you?" And he's like, I, "I don't know what you mean. I am from the church." <laughs> That's right. So so it was talking to him. That I realized that Serbia is almost all Orthodox, right? <laughs> right. And uh, when I started studying Orthodoxy after that, I started realizing that they pretty much all have the same answers, and the answers were so concise that it put my my mind, my soul at ease because it took away a lot of those conflicting answers. And it made my faith that much simpler to understand. Instead of trying to define everything under a Western um, scientific view, it allowed me to put the you know the spiritual side back into it, the beautiful mystical side back into it, and said, "Hey, you know what? Let let God be God." You know, because He's beyond quantum physics, right? He's beyond history, and it. it let him be who he is. He wasn't beyond quantum physics when he created the sun on the third day. <laughs> okay, I, I already have uh, polemics listed as, as slide 31, I think I it is. I don't know what that word means again. <laughs> okay. You were so, explain, he was explained it to me before we started, and I already forgot. I already have it in there. Okay. I, think, I think it's slide 31. Yeah. So, 
<laughs> so um, let God be God and let him be ministering to man as man evolves through time, right? Let him minister to man as man evolves. But you don't even subscribe to God, though, at this point. So yeah. at, at right. this yeah. point, right? you know, we're swinging a different thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's fair. Like, I mean, you know, if, if God's chance to communicate with me is right, is staring me right in the face, you know, at least once a week, where I'm, where I'm, you know, burning through, uh, you know, Juice's Bible that he gave me, it's just <laughs> not happening. But, but is there any sense in you that feels like there's something that connects you to all humans as part as humanity? Like when when Mike, our new Mike. Orthodox Mike. I'm going to call you Orthodox Mike. <laughs> I've been called worse. <laughs> when, when Orthodox Mike said, like, when when you see human suffering, is there something that connects you to that, even though you may not know them from Adam or, or relate at all to them? Like, right, is yeah, there something there's, that there's connects There's a moment, yes. Okay. What do you call that? I mean, I don't know. Would I, like, would I call that God? No, I mean, uh, yeah. not no, not even God, because you don't no, subscribe sympathy, to that. Empathy, okay. I mean, I'm a human being, and I know what it's like to be happy and mm-hmm. what it's like to feel pain. So I don't want mm. other people to feel that. So yeah, but I don't need. I, I I don't think I need the Bible to teach me that. I don't. Okay. I think that's something I already have. See, but like Mike was saying earlier. It, from the Orthodox perspective, two ten percent beers, Mike. <laughs> we blame this on you, Donnie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, you know what? I think I'm, I'm just gonna keep drinking my coffee. You guys, yeah. Drink it. <laughs> I keep getting smarter and smarter. <laughs> His IQ is one of ten notches. Yeah. <laughs> um, like he was saying, from the, from the Orthodox perspective, we all have the spark, like you said, right? See, so we all have yeah, the idea. Yeah, yeah. We all have the spark. We all we all have the the recognition of the greater consciousness, right? So, yeah. And I get it. I get it, George. Sometimes I, I don't even know how to define it. Like there are some things that connect me to people way on the other side of the world that uh, sometimes I, I don't even want to call myself personally growing up in the church as the evangelical God because I've had my own... Um, you know, there's just been a bitter taste in my mouth with with what I grew up with, so I don't want to call it that. Right. And yet, I still don't know what it is that makes me more like, man. You know, is it just my humanity? Right. Hmm. So, so you have empathy and like understanding towards other human beings, right? And then you're married. Indeed. All right. So you don't want gay people to get married. What's that? <laughs> you don't want gays to get married? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Hold, hold on. on. Hold I, this hold is, on. I, blame, I blame Mike. I blame oh Mike for two ten percent. Oh my god! I'm just saying. Okay. I'm just saying. So, I'm feeling empathy. I'm can, feeling empathy for towards other human beings. I want them to experience uh, the happiness. Mike I wants to. All right. Now, I'm, I'm just watching. Did I just make okay. 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 I'm ready for some popcorn can, or something. Can I answer this one? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. So this is where you tell me I need to read six other books no, and understand the no, context. No, no. Okay. I believe it was made very, very simple. You said man should not lay okay. with another man. I think this was made very, very simple. Okay. Christians can do as Christians want to do, and the state can do as the state wants to do. They really should be separated. Right, right. Right, right, Mike. Is that is that what it comes down to? I mean, What's I mean that? I mean, Christians can do that's where this, that's where the, the separation of church and state is, right? So um, the church can allow what the church wishes to allow within its own parameters, mm-hmm. and we're not going to regulate government. We're going to let government do what government wants to do, right? So 
That's as long as long as the government follows God's law. I mean, if if a government's okay with slavery, I'm not going to sit back. Oh and no, let no, that no, happen. not that, not that. Wasn't he cool right. with that though? No, 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 no. Oh boy. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's right. Wait. So context, <laughs> context. So no, no, no. So I mean, if if the state wants to allow gay marriage, whatever, they can. I mean, who are we to tell them that they can't? However, I know you're not going to tell the state, but you're going to tell wait, the individuals. Wait, wait, wait. However, the state should not tell the church who it can marry. Okay. All right. Fair, right? So ethically. <laughs> all right. So we're just talking ethically now. Okay. All right. We're empathizing with other human beings. All right. We want them to experience the love. We want them to experience the same companionship that we experience. Right. right? That's something we're connected with all human beings. Okay. But not if it's a man with another man. Okay. I, I don't know. You know what, George? There was a guy I used to get my hair cut from with, lived in Lakewood. I had no <laughs> I had no idea about Lakewood, Ohio. I don't know if you're familiar with the city of Lakewood. Not even close. Okay. okay. San Francisco has a high population of, of um, gay couples. I okay. think Lakewood, Ohio, per square capita, has more. So okay. per square square what like capital mile? Uh, uh, yeah per people per, yeah, yeah ratio yeah. Ratio, oh, okay, ratio. Okay, okay. yeah ratio wise so I had no idea when we moved there you know I I was pretty much shocked when I moved there to to see that I I just didn't know it was a it was a whole new world to me but anyways the guy that cut my hair all the time he he, he was probably gay. a good dude he was he cut my hair great and that's all that mattered to me but anyways we were talking one time as we do all the time and he was like oh my gosh and he found out you play you know you do music at your church and he's like oh you should come to my church and do that and i i remember feeling uh you know like the bottom just dropped out of me i'm like your church (laughs) right i'm like i had you know what church is that and you know he, he went on to tell me what church he went to and uh he was he was christian it it you know that wasn't even in his mind. And I remember just being blown away, uh, you know, especially from having my, my evangelical um, preconceptions about what gays should and shouldn't be or whatever. I mean, it's written right there in the Bible. Yeah, it, it didn't matter to him. I mean, because, you know, I guess in his mind... It'd be difficult. For, I know, I, I would... I guess I don't, I'm not in that situation, obviously, but I would find it incredibly difficult for someone in his position in his lifestyle to be able to subscribe to maybe Bible. maybe it, maybe it, but what it, it did for it, me in that in that moment was is it it humbled me because i had my judgments already and i didn't realize how judgmental i was until i was confronted with that moment because there's a lot of other things in there that i could say all right you know well then do i hold any any person in the military you know, with those same judgments when God, you know, when Jesus preaches about peace, how do I confront that issue? Yeah, that's, all, oh, that's a good one. You're just giving me ammunition now. Right. Or, or like, you know, <laughs> or like women, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I heard you. I, I hear you. I have, I'm not fully reconciled with a lot of those things. Um, and I think that's okay. I mean, I needed to know that it, it's okay to feel that way. I'll take it, Gumby. I mean, shoes. <laughs> I there is some room to open there for discussion. Um, have you ever heard of Sa- Sam Alberry? 
Oh yeah. Okay. No, I have <laughs> okay. not. Definitely not. That, okay. that was that was absolutely no. That was. Uh... <laughs> it's his uncle. What do you mean? Yeah, right. So Sam Albert is actually a, a a priest over in um over in Europe, um and he is uh uh same sex same sex attracted. Okay. Um, but he remains abstinent because he believes that it is God's purpose that the whole idea of sexuality is for procreation. And that if he doesn't have that attraction, he simply stays within God's rule, right? God's, um, rule's the uh, wrong word for it, but he stays within God's plan. I think plan. it was laws. Where's where no, no, I no, read no, no, it no, no, in the Bible? No? You're, oh. going, you're going to the Old Testament I again. I said laws. You're going oh. to the Old Testament Sorry. again. <laughs> he, he remains within God's allotted plans for his life, and he helps throughout the church. He actually has a station. He's, he's, he's a priest inside, inside the church. But he remains abstinent within God's church, and he still fulfills. Yeah, well, I feel awful because you can't have companionship. But he does. How long have you been married? He does. What's he, that? he does. How long have you been married? Three years. Right. You wait. Right. <laughs> See if you still think that's companionship. Oh, <laughs> oh. Steph, I mean, that's a stereotypical joke, though. I'm, I'm talking. Yeah, right. I, so, I mean, you you equate that to sexuality. It doesn't have to be sexuality. You're calling. I'm talking companionship. Companionship doesn't have to be sexual. I'm not talking about sexual. You're talking about sexual. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm talking about companionship. So I, I want but, him with someone happy. But that's just it, though. Be. He is very, very happy. No, he's not. He is. No, he's not. Is he married? Have you talked to him? I would talk to him, and I would say there's probably some piece of him. I guess. Right. Hold on. Hold on. Sober the, George back in place. I don't know him, and okay. I don't know how he thinks. Okay. There is a higher. I call. would imagine. Again, if mm-hmm. going back to my original argument of wanting to empathize and understand other people mm-hmm. and connecting with other people, okay, I would imagine on that okay. note, I would imagine other people would also, strong majority of people would want to be okay. in a committed relationship, would want that companionship, would want to marry somebody that is going to be their partner for the rest of this life. Mm-hmm. And so for that man to not have that available to him, mm-hmm. I would imagine that would leave a part of him empty, a part of piece of him disappointed and upset, and hurt, and that disconnects me. See, even as a single male, I have to disagree. And, and, and mind you, I'm Did opposite. You single male? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. Even when I was a single oh, okay. male. I'm sorry. I'm telling Kendra. <laughs> right, right. No, even when I was a single male, um, I have to disagree because I wasn't, I wasn't the stereotypical male. I wasn't out to just get tail, Okay. I was looking for a relationship because As is I, your want, I wanted a relationship. Yeah. But I reached us? a point. Hold on, hold on. Let me finish. I reached a point where I didn't care if I was in a relationship because I'd already been through a couple of bad ones. All right. And I was perfectly. Well, you at least had the experience and you could try it firsthand. You don't. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I was perfectly happy being on my own. I was. I was happy. I was fine. I didn't need it. I was fine and I was happy. So if you feel like you are fulfilling a higher calling, you don't need sexuality. We shouldn't define ourselves. Not, I don't want to talk about sexuality. I'm, I'm talking I'm about even, love I'm and companionship. Go- we keep going back there. We, 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 I want him to experience love. It's not love. needed. It's not needed. So even at a higher calling, I'm going to say, I'm going to say that you are degenerating the human being down to a lower level when you say that he needs a sexual companion. Oh, why do we? It's a higher calling. Uh, I'm not saying sexual. But you're saying saying romantic. Love. 
love companionship. But I mean, I love these guys. You know, right? Like, exactly. What I don't. Yeah. You, you love these guys, but they're right. not your wife. These guys don't know about you what your wife knows about you. These guys aren't supporting you like your wife's going to support you. They're not. I want this man that Juice is talking about, I want him to experience that. I wonder how and, much, and, though. And the, and the Bible will not let him. But you were born <laughs> into an American culture right, that was. has that. So do you think that's the same thing as the Christian culture? You know, you're born into a family and you expect these things. So you're defining relationship by romantics. I mean, it's like the prototypical Italian, you know, like, I don't want to get married, but my mom is going to kill me if I don't get married. You know, like she well, thinks she's defining happiness. I think you're being presumptuous. I, I feel like um, the, and I'm, I'm still digging deep, but I mean, um, isn't marriage highlighted in the Bible and committing yourself to well, a woman highlighted in the Bible? But there's, there's a it. higher calling that Paul talks about. And the higher calling is fulfilling your drive to be one with the creator and that that's actually higher than a mere human relation. Wait, I know what he's going to say about Paul, though. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I let me just—I'm reading his mind. Okay, Gumby's <laughs> my dude, so I'm actually—I'm just going to go. Are you? Okay, are no, you okay. He's going to. George is going to say, "Are you talking about the same Paul does, that does not want to see women's hair, or does not want women to speak, or oh. wants women to stay outside oh. of the temple to pray?" I mean, if, right? if I got so, pushed in the right corner, I probably would have went that route. At some point, you're right. You're so right. orthodox, new new Mike, orthodoxy help. What's your kind of orthodox view on this? So. <clears throat> the orthodox view would be, you know, we're not going to marry gays within the church. Sad. But what I do want to say is, I think it's great that you're questioning. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I think it's great that you're comfortable enough to be open with your questions. And I think the fact that you care enough to argue against something shows something to me. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mike. I think... I think the fact that you are as open and vulnerable about your questions is going to lead to a deeper faith if you if you hopefully get there. Um, because I think if you didn't care, you wouldn't be asking these types of questions. These are questions of someone that wants to actually know somebody. It's it's not it's it's like when you when you get into a relationship with someone, if you're gonna marry them, you should absolutely ask the hard questions. You yeah. shouldn't just accept it on face value. And I think your questions are powerful. I think they're well thought out. Um, I respect anybody that questions. I, I respect anybody that brings these questions because it shows, you know, it, it's not apathy. It's absolutely a quest to understand. Yeah. And I think that if we, if at some point that spark in you that's driving you to ask questions, work with that. Yeah, and I and I I've just met you maybe you know an hour and forty minutes ago. So I apologize. <laughs> That's all right, no, man. You, it's great. You've had you have um, more stuff to say all night. But absolutely, run with these questions. Uh, bring them to people. Question, yeah. question, ask, ask, ask. Because once the core of these questions get satisfied, everything else will probably fall into place. And and I I would be comfortable to say that God loves the fact that we ask questions. Yeah. God loves the fact when we yell at him, when we don't understand, when we try to, because it shows that you care. Because, I mean, pe the, the Bible is full of people that didn't understand. Right. The Bible is the one holy text in the world where God took failures and made something out of them. 
Joseph was quintessentially a failure. They, it was he was young, he was bragging. His brothers threw him in a pit. They sold him off, and all of a sudden, you know, he was able to turn it around. You see Rahab. You see, you know, all these stories of people that questioned God. So what you're doing in questioning is quite biblical. You're actually following a path of faith that that if you know if if you get there. It's, it's going to lead to something that I think is amazing. It's, and, and you're not just taking in the, the narrative of how you were raised. Yeah. You're asking adult questions, and you're looking for an adult answer, and I think that's fabulous. So I just want to say I respect you for, for, for asking these questions because they're the same ones I ask, and I still ask sometimes. Anybody that says they don't ask these questions I don't think have, have, is, is mature enough to really start grappling with God because there are things that aren't going to make sense. Everyone should have moments where they get on their knees and they say, God, I do not under I just did it a couple of days ago. I did it this morning. I don't understand why God's doing things in my life. I have no idea. It makes no sense. But I'm willing to say, God, I don't understand. But as long as I seek after trying to understand, I think that's good enough. I think that pleases God. So well said. I think it's I think it's great. That was excellent. Yeah, well said. I it's did- a safe place, George. We're a safe place, man. It's not like we're on YouTube or anything, right? We're not live. We're not live on the internet or anything. Yeah, it's not like the whole world's watching. You're not a couple beers deep just (laughs) questioning your spirituality with anybody or anything. Yeah. There uh I did find that C. S. Lewis quote. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. It says uh Perhaps a modern man can understand the Christian idea best if he takes it in connection with evolution. Everyone now knows about evolution. Everyone has been told that man has evolved from lower types of life. Consequently, people often wonder what is the next step? What is the next thing beyond man going to appear? Imaginative writers try sometimes to picture this next step, the Superman as they call him. But they usually only succeed picturing him with a deal nastier than man, as we know him and then try to make him up for by sticking extra legs or arms on him. But suppose the next step was to be something even more different than the earlier steps than they ever dreamed of. And it is not very likely to be. The thousands of centuries ago, huge, very heavily armored creatures were evolved. If anyone had at that time been watching the course of evolution, he would probably have expected that it was going to be a lot heavier and heavier armor. But he would have been wrong. The future had a card up its sleeve, which nothing at that time had led him to expect. It was going to spring on him little, naked, unarmored animals, which had bigger brains. And with those brains, they were going to master the whole planet. They were not merely going to have more power than the prehistoric monsters. They were going to have a new kind of power. The next step was not only going to be different, but different with a new kind of difference. The stream of evolution was go- not going fl- to go flow in the direction in which he saw it flowing. It was in fact going to take a sharp bend. Now it seems to me that most of the popular guesses at the take, well, hold on, and the next step <laughs> are making just the same sort of mistake. Perhaps see, or at any rate, they think they see men developing grand brains and getting greater mastery over nature. And because they think the stream is flowing in that direction, they imagine it will go through in that direction. But I cannot help thinking that the next step 
will be really new. It will not go off in a direction you could never have imagined. It would hardly be worth calling a new step unless it did. I expect that not merely difference, but a new kind of difference. I should expect not merely a change, but a new stage in evolution, not a stage in evolution at all. Should expect that evolution itself as a method of production, change would be superseded. And finally, I should not be surprised when the kind happened, very few people noticed that it would happen. Now, if you, take, uh, if you take care to talk in these terms, the Christian's view is precisely that next step has already appeared. It is really new. It is not a change from brainier men to brainier men. It is a change that goes off in a totally different direction. A change from being creatures of God to being sons of God. So... I love C.S. Lewis. (laughs) And it makes sense. I mean, if you look at at the theory of evolution, you went from, you know, slime to very armored creatures to being brainy, naked, you know, people, (laughs) right? To becoming spiritual sons of God. Yeah. But then, okay, so that was describing, like, essentially the theory of evolution. Yeah, right. to spiritual beings. To spiritual beings. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to assume that not everyone in this room agrees with that concept. Is that... Yeah. I, I, I know Gumby and I both New Michael, lean Mike. towards theistic evolution, Mike. Yeah. No, I don't totally agree with, you know... I mean, yes, philosophically, I think there's an evolution of going through discovery and, and becoming spiritual. And I know we are spiritual, but I don't think we evolved to be spiritual... Okay. Really, I think we were created as spiritual. New Mike. Yeah, I would say that we, um, you know, I don't, I don't think that it's, I don't, I don't think, you know, relationship in Christ would fall into an evolution category, um, because I don't, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a natural process. I think it's a supernatural process. So I would have to maybe, maybe, maybe disagree with the great C.S. Lewis as humbly as I can. <laughs> you take it back, Mike. You take it back. <laughs> I will. I apologize. <laughs> Well, even there's there's even some uh, some uh, theologists out there, or even some scientists. Uh, Gerald Schroeder is, uh, and he's mind you, he's a theist, but he's not even a Christian. Um, Gerald Schroeder believes that man did evolve, but man wasn't man until there was the form of man in which God breathed Himself into. And and, and he goes to the Hebrew. I'm not going to go into the Hebrew because. He actually is Jewish, and I'm not. So <laughs> I'm not going to dive into the Hebrew to, uh, to you know, delve through the verbiage. Um, but he actually does go as far as showing when God, in you know, breathed his spirit into humankind across the Torah. And uh, I'm not going to do that, but it's, it's fascinating to, to discover that even people from other Abrahamic religions— show God breathing into the human form his spirit of life. Hmm. Mike, let me ask you this. Yes, sir. In the evangelical world or the charismatic world or even dispensationalist world, (laughs) oh, (laughs) the whole concept of theosis seems so foreign to us, to me. Uh Sure. Um. Can you can you unpack that a bit and and tell us what we're missing? 
Well, I think what's funny is some of my friends that are evangelicals um, absolutely get what I'm saying uh, with theosis. I, I've had sometimes I think theosis is easier for the more charismatic or the almost the more Pentecostal churches than it is some of my Roman Catholic friends. Um, I, I think the idea is it's kind of like the Trinity. It's simplicity is complex, and its complexity is where it's simple. Um, so the idea of theosis simply is this process of allowing God to work within us. It's it's nothing that we it's. So all of you, you're all married, yes? Yes. Yeah, yep. actually, yeah. Okay. What was it? How did you fall in love with the person? Hmm. Go ahead, uh, go ahead Mike. Oh. My, wait, wife, wait. my wife was so hot <laughs> when I first met her. You are totally putting us oh to the spot gosh. right now. Yeah, right. You, know? <laughs> you are totally. We have to be in love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. You know what? Everything I was talking about, scrap that. I was, I was, <laughs> you just put so, all of us on I the spot. What I'm saying is, there was there was a moment where you met the person. Yes. Right. Okay. There was a moment where you started asking questions. You wanted to understand them. Right. And then there's this moment where you have to sit back with them and you're just silent. Mm. You're, you're silent and you allow the love actually grows between you. And you can't. The reason we have evil is because we have free will and we have free will because God can't force us to love him. It wouldn't be love that way. Right. So theosis is very much the divine relationship between us and God. It's nothing we can force. You can't like kind of grunt your way through it. You can't do Sanchin like an old karate. Um, <laughs> you know, you have to sit back and you have to ask God and you have to pray and you have to be still. And I think that's the hardest part. I, I think, you know, there, there's that old joke that says, if you talk to God, you're a saint. If God talks to you, you're psychotic. <laughs> and I like that. <laughs> I think if we, it's, it's, it's very much like if you guys have ever held, you know, I've got three amazing kids. And sometimes when they're sad, and even my friends that have been, you know, gone through hard things, the last thing they need you to do is talk. Sometimes you just need to shut up and be present with them. When my kids are sad, you just hold them. And they cry, and they snot bubble on you, and it's okay. Because you're just holding them. And if you were to try to say something in that moment, you would probably ruin the moment. Mm -hmm. But you allow it to happen, and then at the other end of that space, the love between you is so much deeper than anything you could have said or do. Hmm. And I think that's kind of how theosis is. It's, it's this recognition that God and I are more united than I understand. And that the more I talk, because people will they'll pray and they'll ask God, and then they just kind of go, all right, thanks, you know, and they kind of leave. And I think it's this true understanding that prayer has to be a relationship. And we talk too much when we pray. We need to be silent. We need to allow God to speak to us. And sometimes that speaking isn't verbal. Mm. It's a relationship. And the relationship has to be silent. You know, have you ever, mm -hmm. like, you know, if you ever had a, a fight with your spouse or something, you know, when you're just sitting in the room and you look at them and all of a sudden you have all these emotions just by looking at them and you don't say anything? It's very much like that. Hmm. And, I, and I think theosis is, is, is on a mystical level like that because I think we're, we're mystical beings in a sense. 
So it's allowing God to work within us. It's allowing us in our ego and our, and I mean that not in a Freudian sense, but almost in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, an I sense, allowing that to kind of, you know, go down so Christ can be raised up within me. And we have to be quiet. We have to sit back. And those questions that, you know, that our friend is asking are so important to this process. And I think the other part is to sit there and ask the questions, try to get the answers, and then just be still and know that he's God. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. Very well said. Thanks. But your evangelical friends knew of theosis. Some of them did, yeah. Some I'm, of a, them I'm a bit did. envious about that. I, yeah. you know, I've, that was a concept never preached or taught no. yeah. to me or certainly promoted. Uh, yeah. You know, and until so probably Aaron, and so you know, we kind of went our own, on our own journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Theosis, it's 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 really neat because it's it's a spirituality where you allow God to do the work. Hmm. And I think so often we think salvation and, and the spiritual life is us doing the work, hmm. and it shouldn't be us doing the work. We should we should enter into it and say, God, I love you. Come into my life, and then sit back and go, okay, I'm going to focus on you, God. And just let it happen. You can't. You can't force these things. It's like it's like being in a river. You can't force the water to go another way. You just let it happen. Hmm. So no, that's good. That's actually really good. It's uh, yeah. As as some people know, this this podcast was actually started out of our Bible study because okay. we yeah. we asked so many questions that <laughs> that we came up with really good topics, and so it led to a podcast. Yeah, cool. You know, and it was launched as uh, it was launched as a roundtable because everybody brings something very good to the table. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah. And and I and Mike is really awesome when he speaks because he sits there and thinks and thinks and thinks, and so whenever he opens his mouth, it comes out as something that's awesome to be said. Yeah, but it's um yeah, it was just a lot of cool stuff, and it's been been funny because. Um, I think we predominantly all come out of a well outside of you know uh, George. My bad. I, I think we all we all come out of a predominantly evangelical background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, you know, my my youth was spent as Roman Catholic, but I mean, by the time I was eight years old, we were in the assemblies and everything else. So, um, so we come out of that side of it. You know, that's where me and Gumby and. I think to a degree, Mike, <laughs> also can associate. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I think, uh, I don't know, Grace Church has that evangelical flair to it. So Spin. Yeah. <laughs> we do. A more, probably more to the conservative side. Yeah. You know, I agree. Not, you know, you don't hear a lot of tongues or... I think, I think we've gone back. more. I think yeah. about yeah. 10 yeah, years we've ago. We've yeah. had our seasons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But Orthodox Mike, if I may, you brought up you brought up a great point with you know just George being able to uh, even ask these questions as as a part of our journey uh, to faith and to you know whatever our relationship to God may look like for us, and it's such a huge point to make because growing up in the church is you know whatever my background or denomination may have been, you know not knowing that it's a safe place for you to ask any question. Uh, it's huge to development and growth. I wasn't allowed to do it. And so whatever the moment was for me personally that, that broke me, that allowed me to have that, 
uh, man, I wish it came earlier. You know, right. makes sense. Yeah, and, and it's it's huge. Well, I think it's I think it's almost half of the Psalms, maybe two thirds of the Psalms that are questioning God's authority, isn't it? Yeah. So it it, it just makes sense. I mean. I mean, even some of the most well-known psalms are like, "God, what are you doing?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? uh, like Orthodox Mike said, it's it's a biblical thing. It really yeah. is. So, in your efforts to be non-biblical, you're being biblical. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mike, are you are you Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox? What what is Serbian? Serbian. Okay. Yep. Now, now I I love this. So, so Mike. Yes. What is the difference <laughs> between between like Russian Orthodox and Romanian Orthodox and Greek Orthodox and Sure. So you you will have a little difference in the theology. Um the Greeks will have a somewhat of a different theology than the Russians, you know, the OCA church would have different than the Rokor church. Um and when I say a little bit of a difference, I'm talking basically in um like, you know, we follow the old calendar. Um, you know, the Greek church would follow the new calendar. Essentially, each, each of the Orthodox churches grow, grew up in its own national church. So the main difference is just what country it happened to be from. Okay. So, so it's dialect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. And also, I mean, and just like any church, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come up through the culture. So the Russian church will have a Russian flair. The Greek church will have a Greek flair. Um, that's just naturally going to happen. But yeah, that's essentially the difference. You're going to have just whatever country they happen to be in. Um, they use their, they use their language. So it's, you didn't have, like you would have the Latin mass in all the other countries. You would speak Russian in the Russian church, the Greek in the Greek church. Um, in the United States, it's, 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 it's an, it's an anomaly because you could have, you know, like in New York city, you could have like four cathedrals within like five blocks of each other right you know in in serbia you have this you have the orthodox you have the serbian orthodox church you don't have the greek church next to the russian church next to the oca church i mean i have i have five saint george's in canton we have the antiochian (laughs) the romanian orthodox the byzantine um and then i and then there's the greek church of mass i think there's like four or five saint george's and they're all they all i answer to a different bishop i'm almost jealous (laughs) yeah That's cool though. That's cool. I mean, it's 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 cool that the fact that different cultures don't have to conform to somebody else's culture to get their service. Yeah. So I mean, that's actually really cool. I mean, if you think about it, I've so I've had jobs like, for example, I worked for a while at the West Side Market, and uh, there's people there that don't speak very good English, like a lot of like uh, by a large margin. <laughs> There's a lot of people that don't speak very good English. <laughs> so so it's cool that different branches can conform to the people that are coming over, you know, so that the Romanians, and I know several Romanians uh, who don't speak very good English, can go to a service and hear the service in their own tongue, you know. Right. So, and, and it ties to the idea of theosis. So, you know, the church is going to illuminate wherever it happens to be. So if they're going to illuminate Romanian people, they would do it within the remaining culture. Yeah. Yeah. And that's 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 fascinating to me. That that you know, uh, right within well, even in um uh Tremont over here, uh we have well, I think three Orthodox churches. So you have the Ant- There is a Saint George there. Yeah. There is. 
There's always a St. George somewhere, wherever you are. I think I posted a picture of me by it. Right there Facebook, you go. Yep, of course, yep. yeah. <laughs> and there's also uh, an Antiochian church over there, and there's also a St. Theodosius. Yeah. So, so it is, but if, if you look What's at... What's the church we go to for Thanksgiving? Well, oh, that was a, that was a pilgrim church. That was just that was a uh, yeah. That was that was actually actually a Reformation church. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's uh, which, as I went over earlier, would have been birthed out of the Methodist churches. So, it's Wesleyan. Oh, of course. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> See, comes full circle. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's it, I, I love the fact that they're able to bring all the branches, and you know it's America, right? It's a melting pot, so right. It's it's a little unique in that sure. aspect, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So now I have a few going into Christmas. I have a few things to go over because we are hit, entering and the holiday is, season. This is one subject I actually know. <laughs> so I'm ready. <laughs> all right, Orthodox awesome. Mike, be ready for some questions. <laughs> 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 so, in, in the Christmas ideologies, there is this standing stigma that it's predominantly pagan. Right, with, and that's why Jehovah Witnesses don't practice it. Well, yeah, yeah, there is that. There's okay. that. Okay, there is that. Um, I don't think that, but there is this the, this presiding idea that Christianity, especially amongst the newer branches of the reformation especially across like the hebrew roots and stuff like that where they um they really veer away from this stuff because they believe it's so heavily pagan influenced right and so no no go ahead no you're saying go ahead i don't have it i mean uh isn't like jehovah witnesses like they they kind of have this claim to fame that um yeah I'm gonna be wrong here, so go ahead and feel feel free to correct me. <laughs> um, but I feel like um, they have this claim to fame that um, their view is more precisely accurate and interpreted. So that's why they do things as strictly as they do, including not celebrating Christmas because of its pagan background. Right. So you're are you arguing that it doesn't have those pagan backgrounds, and that's why you continue to celebrate Christmas? Well, I mean. Yeah, Aaron. Talking, yeah, to, Aaron. Right, 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 right. Aaron. I mean, coming. Have I ever called you Aaron? Before? Did I just call you Aaron now? You did. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's the beer talking. I That's, don't think I've ever called you Aaron before. I, I actually don't it's like because everyone else says I hated it. I actually don't I, like that. I'm I don't like that at all. Yeah, juice, I don't like bad. that at all. Only because it's, it. it's, it's, it's in the Bible. It was in the Bible. I called him Aaron. No, the um. You mean you mean the 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 branch of the church that was founded by Charles Taz Russell, yeah. who uh, who didn't actually know Greek to reinterpret the Bible that he reinterpreted. I had to plead the fifth, you know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so you know there was a trial held across Europe about that, right? And they called Probably. him out, and they called him out on that, and then put a very small, very small verse in Greek in front of him, and he couldn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. These guys are like fighting right, with right, cotton balls right. on their hands. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, just, I, I, I'm just referencing this guy who reinterpreted the Bible without knowing Greek, right? No. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. I did not know. So, but there was there there is this this idea, right, that the uh, 
that the the church pulls from Christianity and uh, polemically put Christianity on top of paganism to bring in people for converts. Um, I'm going to quote here from uh, history.com. <laughs> it says that the middle of winter has long been a time of celebration around the world, centuries before the arrival of, of the man called Jesus. Early Europeans celebrated light and birth in the darkness days of winter. Many people rejoiced during the winter solstice when the worst of the winter was behind them and they could look forward to longer days and extending hours of sunlight. In Scandinavia, the Norse celebrated Yule from December 21st, the winter solstice, through January. In recognition of the return of the sun, fathers and sons would bring home large logs, which they would set on fire. The people would feast until the log burned out, which could take as many as 12 days. The Norse believed that each spark from the fire represented a new pig or calf that would be born during the coming year. The end of December was a perfect time for celebration in most areas of Europe. At that time of the year, most cattle were slaughtered, so they would not have to be fed during the winter. For many, it was the only time of the year they had a supply of fresh meat. In addition, the most wine and beer made during the year is finally fermented and ready for drinking. In Germany, people honored the pagan god Odin during the midwinter holiday. Germans were terrified of Odin as they believed he made nocturnal flights through the sky to observe his people and then decide who would prosper or perish. Because of his presence, many people chose to stay inside. So, Right there, you have Europe going over different, yeah, arguably pagan ideologies, okay? And on the surface, it sounds very pagan, right? Uh, Mike, thoughts? Um, I mean, Christmas itself is strictly celebrating the birth of Christ, so that is not pagan in any way. I know, but isn't that not the true... I would say Jehovah's Witnesses would argue that that's not the true birth date of Christ. Well, Jehovah's Witnesses don't really believe Christ is God. Okay, so when is his birthday? Is his birthday December 25th or no? No, September. So why is that his birthday? Well, it's the day we celebrate. It's funny you say that. So why wouldn't we celebrate his birthday on his birthday? Well, so my answer... Orthodox Mike. (laughs) Yes. Why don't George we, doesn't why care don't we about celebrate my his birthday? Offended. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, original Mike. Way to interrupt. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but short answer, yeah, I, I want to celebrate my Savior's birth, and that's what I use Christmas for. I do believe there's a lot of pagan undertones in the way we celebrate. you know. Um, and I, but I thought before I Wikipedia came around and you get to read the, the history, I just thought... It was paganized throughout the year with socialism, you know, like commercialism and right. and kind of Jesus was then taken out of Christmas. And then, you know, I've been introduced to the thought later that because of persecutions, Christians kind of hid behind some other holidays in December to kind of still celebrate. So is December kind of more cultural for us? Uh, yeah, yeah. I've just, we... We agreed on the date. It's the date, but it doesn't have any actual, like, if Jesus was born in January, to me, I'm celebrating once a year, it doesn't lessen. It's not like he's like, dang it, Mike, you missed my birthday again. It wasn't really this day, yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Can, can I put a slight spin on this? 
I'm not going to quote the whole thing. I'm going to simply summarize it in this. There was a difference between the Western and Eastern Church and between the Gregorian and Julian calendar. So the easy way to settle it was on December 25th. Mm. Now, to disseminate from all those ideas that it was paganized, um, and I will, in in this podcast episode, I will link a very good scholarly article that shows you the evidences for this. There is no evidence that it was linked to a pagan holiday. None. What happened to Missler? What happened to watching <laughs> Odin fly over the sky just now? Was it on, was it on December 25th? I don't know. It was at the end of the year. <laughs> okay. Yeah, was... So there actually is nothing on December 25th that predates Christianity to say that it was paganized by Christianity. Believe it or not... It was a 17th century Reformation scholar that wanted to part ways with the Catholic Church that oh created that idea. Are you talking about Luther? No, no, it wasn't Luther. It was, it was later, 17th later. century. It was later. Yeah. So uh, I will, I'll link that article inside this podcast episode. I, I'm not going to go over all the details right now because, as George can see at the moment, it's lengthy. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's the Orthodox but, view on? Well, the old calendar, so ours is in January, January 7th. What, that, what's January 7th? Jesus' birthday? Wow. Well, that's, we that's when we celebrate the Nativity. We don't celebrate Christ's Mass. It's the Nativity. But, yeah, yeah, Jesus' birthday, yeah. So December twenty fifth, that morning in your home, what does it look like? Um, well, this year it's going to be kind of quiet. Um, but you know, for the we kind of have to do both. You know, some because my my wife is a uh, Byzantine Catholic, so the boys will do the the Christmas with her, and then they'll come over with me on the seventh, and we'll do a little something and go to church with me probably. So, oh, that's cool. That is yep. cool. That is cool. And it's cool to get the exposure of both cultures. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yep. So, and it, now I'll, I'll I'll point out that um, the Byzantines actually hold still to the Eastern theology. Um, I was uh, doing a service call because we know that you know those who listen to the podcast know that I I work for a telecommunications company. Okay, and I was doing a service call for a Melkite church mm-hmm. over in Brooklyn, Ohio, and yeah. and he was very very implicit in stating. That even though they are in um, communication with the uh, the Roman Catholic Church, that they are definitely Eastern theology. So yes, yeah. yeah, the word Catholic just means universal. So you have, I think it's twenty two or twenty three different Catholic churches under the Pope. So that's why they always say the Latin Rite or the Roman Rite. It's it's one of the twenty two Catholic churches. So right. when people say, do Catholics have married priests? Like, absolutely. My kid's godfather is a married Catholic priest and lives down the street. He's married with a couple kids. He's awesome. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think, you know, even the idea of what does it mean to be Catholic, people have kind of pigeonholed to be Roman Catholic because they're like 90% of the entire church. Um, but, yeah, there, there's a lot of different versions of Catholic that, that are still under the Pope. So, yeah. So, right? Does it, yeah. Do you ever know that? I did not know that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so there's a. So yeah, my kids, my kids' godparents, my my three kids, um, Alex, John, and Raisa. Their godfather is a is a Catholic priest who does Catholic confession at Walsh University sometimes, 
and his wife is her their godmother and you know full catholic priest and you know all the faculties and everything and you know under the pope and everything so it's cool yeah, your, wow. your your instagram feed is adorable by the way yeah i had yeah <laughs> when i had social media i took i took a little nap i took a uh a fast from it we'll say <laughs> yeah the uh yeah you're uh, i love i love seeing all of your kids and all their their uh their services and all the things they go to it's thank you yeah, yeah you've got a great feed <laughs> thank you very much yeah <laughs> so awesome yeah but i'll i'll post that uh I'll I'll post that article on there. It's fascinating to see that that modern churches and modern scholars will impose a paganistic view on it. Um, but really, culturally, going all the way through the Old Testament to the New Testament, polemically, that was what you, was what took place. Polemically, every time a culture took over another culture, they would use the previous culture's ideas and stories to convey through their own ideas and ideologies what they were bringing to that culture and that is throughout the old testament even all the way up into the new testament so i mean you, you even in the new testament the the you have the Baal cycle right uh, the Baal cycle is even reflected when christ says that he is coming on the clouds because he is reflecting himself in the Baal cycle as the cloud rider so even from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you still have the polemics. Mm. So it, it's fascinating. It's it, well, just like okay, for example, okay, Paul at the Areopagus, okay, when he walks in, how many scriptures did he spout out at the uh, at all the other parishioners at the Areopagus? Ten. None. Why would he? They didn't know the Old Testament. Why would he spew Jewish Testament at them if they didn't know it? I should know by your questions by now that the answer is none. <laughs> or zero. <laughs> That's who, did, who did he quote? He quote no one. He quoted their playwrights. <laughs> he quoted their playwrights and he quoted their philosophers. Yeah, right, right. He You're quoted right? right? Right, because they wouldn't understand if he was spewing out Jewish literature. Why would he tell them about Jewish literature if they didn't understand Jewish literature? He used their playwrights and their philosophers to convey his stories. So, I mean, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you have polemics being used to teach other cultures. So, and you have that dating all the way back to Genesis. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. If there's ever like a new happening to that, I want it all like directed and by <laughs> Michael Bay. <laughs> Tell all the stories for the next generation. Exactly. Lots of explosions and yeah. Megan Fox. <laughs> 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 this has been a great a great podcast. So. Yeah. Oh, uh, Orthodox Michael. Yes. <laughs> do, you, do you have any last words? Um, no, it's just. Um... You know, I, I, it's it's been an honor. It's great to make you know meet you guys, and I and I wish you well. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Other Mike, anything? No, this I've been a lot very educational. Oh, I'm good. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> I'm good. I'm sorry if I was a little too talkative today. No, you're so great. I apologize. You're great. It, was it was I blame Mike and the two ten percent beers that he got. <laughs> <laughs> and like. <laughs> <laughs> Although they were wonderful, the they flavor the flavor was amazing. Not no training wheels here. We we get what we we think is going to be the best, and uh, it was <laughs> it's holiday season. I had to get the holiday beers. Right, all right, right on. Dude, they were phenomenal. Though I might need training wheels to get home. Right. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> 
We Hits. don't. You know, we don't have to fill these cups, right? I know. And I didn't have to race you. If you guys look at the uh, Facebook page, I took a picture and I was like first to finish, and I was trying to beat you. Oh, and then uh, yeah. But I see, I told him to only pour this much in mine. He did. He did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't see that, did you? Is no. this much left in the growler? Okay. Oh, <laughs> I actually discovered um, going to these places, and for our audience, is a good tip. You can go to these places and ask for flight sizes. Yes. And the you, flights are great. Yeah, so you don't actually have to sit down and just you know yeah well, toasty or anything. Well, Gumby and I have actually we went down to uh, like Mastheads the one time. Yeah. We just ordered two flats, and uh, that w- and that was it. I think just two flats, and it, just to taste. The beers, yeah. and they're only like a little, like four to six, four to six ounces each. Yeah, but when you got like eight to ten on each, plate, right? Those well, will still get you. Know. But you can just order one flight of, yes. you know, and that's what I when I picked these up, I went right from one to another and just a single flight each, and I still yeah. fully. Yeah, fine. just get the good flavors. In. Yeah, Mike, we look forward to the day we can we can drink with you, man. Yes, it will it will happen. We're, we're gonna right bring on. you in for another one. You got it. <laughs> All right. All right. Cool. All right. Well. Until next time, catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Google+, Tumblr, and of course on BibleOfBrews.com. Everybody, have a good night. Good night. So long. Hey, have a good one. Bye.